0: Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to the experts to explore the field of nutritional sciences and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with Canadian doctors, dietitians, athletes, climate experts, and many others to break down the evidence behind a whole foods, plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi. And today I am joined by Dr. Tanisha Mitchell-Lambert to talk about her integrative interactive health practice and much more. Dr. Tanisha Mitchell-Lambert, also affectionately known online as Dr. Tanisha, received her medical degree from Loma Linda University and is a family physician with a master's in lifestyle medicine. This dual training allows her to not only focus on the pharmaceutical treatments for chronic illness, but also the impact of lifestyle factors like diet and exercise. She is passionate about promoting good health through dietary choices, exercise, and stress management, which she does in the office as well as in the community. She is a strong believer in people care, recognizing that health conditions encompass physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects. Dr. Tanisha, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you join the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Me too. I'm excited to speak with you. To start things off. Can you tell us a little bit about your introduction to lifestyle medicine and perhaps any connection to plant-based practices related to your own practice and from either a personal or professional perspective?
1: Okay, so I'll actually um, share both. So um, in terms of lifestyle medicine, so practicing those six pillars, which I'm sure we'll flesh out more of during our discussion, I had the privilege of going to Loma Linda University. And when I applied to the med school there, I applied because their med school focused on holistic care. So they looked at the biological, the psychological, the social, and the spiritual aspects of health, which I thought was very unique among med schools. So off the bat, they had a very holistic view. And then uh, when I was there many moons ago, they decided to come up with a lifestyle medicine track for family medicine, where you could do a family medicine residency program in addition to a master's in public health in this wonderful field of lifestyle medicine. And I was definitely hooked from there. In terms of the personal exposure, I my parents have always uh, stressed on know using plants to heal so anytime we had a cold it would be drink your tea with this lemon and garlic and honey and all of these other things Um, they had different bush teas for stomach aches and uh, clearing out your guts just before school just making sure that your colon was healthy before you went back to school in September there was a lot of kind of home remedies used in my household And then my younger sister, Dr. Sasha Coleman, who is a a naturopath, when she was, I think she was 10 years old, she decided to go to this camp, which was a plant-based camp where she learned how to cook vegetarian meals. And when she finished that camp, it was for a week long. She came back and this kid in in our family of complete meat eaters said, I'm not going to eat meat anymore. And my mom was like, okay, sure, buddy okay. And she made the fried chicken that she usually makes for Sunday dinner and plated on the table. And my sister did not touch it. And she, uh, I mean, like as a child making such a a big decision, I was impressed. And that was kind of the first introduction to plant-based eating and the importance of plant-based eating to health that I'd been uh, introduced to. I was not automatically convinced, unfortunately. I did take my serving of fried (laughs) chicken that Sunday, Um, but definitely resonated with me as I went through um, med school and residency and made changes to my own health throughout those times and and afterwards to recognize that plants are power. Plants feed us, they fuel us, um, and they give us the good building blocks for a good mind and a healthy body. So that's my intro to plant-based eating and lifestyle. Medicine. Um, And now I get to spread that good news to the rest of the world and my patients.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic. And we'll get into your current practice in just a little bit. But I feel like there's a lot of really good information that you shared with us that I'd like to delve a little deeper into, starting off with you mentioned the home re- remedies that your parents shared with you. Where did that come from? How did they learn this? Because I feel like, at least for myself growing up, it wasn't as common to have plant-based practices or lifestyle medicine. So the fact that your parents found a camp that offered plant-based practices and they had these home remedies, where did that all come from? The
1: home remedies were kind of passed down from generations. So my grandmother would have all of these different teas that she would make for different ailments like stomach upset or headache. My grandfather, so my, my father's father, he would make these incredible concoctions with different roots and herbs. He had booklets documenting what each herb was good for. And he would actually, he'd, he'd boil them. So every year he would make his roots as we called it. So he'd boil all, these, all of these different herbs and roots into a, a drink or a tonic that he would give to family members or even sell to people who were interested in um, drinking the tonic. And it was kind of like an all purpose tonic, which was good for managing blood pressure and giving you a boost of antioxidants every day. So that it's kind of a, a generational knowledge that was passed down in terms of the, the teas and things that we've, um, we've grown up using for our home remedies. In terms of So the camp, now, um, kind of around the same time as when my my sister turned 10, my mom started going to uh, a different church, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church. And in that church, they actually have a whole section on health tenants that they encourage their um, their churchgoers or their believers to follow. So they usually give an, an acronym acronym like New Start, which focused on nutrition and having lots of water and you know getting outside and having sunlight and temperance and all of these different things and exercise. So it it encompassed a lot of the, the tenets of lifestyle medicine. And I, I think Again, Loma Linda University is a university that is tied to the Adventist Church, and so that kind of carries through to their, their different locations, to their different con- congregations. They all get exposure to it. And along with that, they'll do teaching in, in children's spaces. So oftentimes they'll have camps that the, the church will put on, like a plant-based eating camps, which will teach kids how to cook and learn the principles of, of good plant-based eating. Um, and then also they'll have other programs for adults or health ministries time where we can disseminate information that way.
0: Okay, great. And this is really yeah. tying into one of our past podcasts where Daniel and George Cho also talked about being Seventh-day Adventists, and they mentioned Loma Linda University, and you have uh, did your degree there as well. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. You mentioned these six pillars. Can you describe to us what these six pillars are and how they relate to your practice?
1: I would love to. <laughs> this
0: is what I am passionate about. Okay,
1: so six pillars of lifestyle medicine, all very important. Number one, I usually start with is nutrition, because we think about food all the time. And it's so ingrained in our, our life, as well as in our like celebrations and and periods of sadness. So nutrition is number one, exercise or movement of your body is the second pillar. Third pillar is sleep, getting good sleep is super important for your health fourth pillar is stress management and mental health. The fifth pillar is addictions management. So quitting smoking, monitoring that alcohol intake, recreational drug use, all of those need to be addressed in the fifth pillar. And then finally, the sixth pillar, which is often overlooked, is relationships. So the relationships that you have in your life, tend to influence your health for better or for worse. Those are the six pillars that we talk about here at the clinic. uh, And also the six pillars that we like to emphasize when we're doing public speaking or a community outreach.
0: Fantastic. Thank you for describing those to us. And I believe you have your own medical practice. It's called Integrative Interactive Health, or please correct me and share the name of it, because I want to delve into that a little bit as well, because you mentioned you and your sister, Dr. Sasha Coleman work there as well as I believe a number of other individuals too. And one thing that really stood out to me was that you offer the lifestyle medicine consultation, which is a personalized lifestyle medicine prescription is written for the individual who comes in to speak with you and they you review their blood work and other test results. And this is covered by OHIP because I, you're in Ontario, but this is covered. So it doesn't have a cost directly to the patient or the client coming in. Can you speak a little bit more to this and how those six pillars potentially come into this?
1: Sure. So our our name is long, but it is descriptive. (laughs) So integrative interactive health is a practice where my sister and I practice integrative medicine, where she practices naturopathy, and I practice allopathic medicine, and we merge the two for the patients who desire um, merging of the two. So not all of our patients are signed up with the naturopath, and not all of the naturopathic patients are signed up as me as their family doctor. So the interactive piece of our name is really for us to encourage people to uh, practice the six pillars of lifestyle medicine in interactive ways. And we do that mostly by, via our social media media right now. So on our social media, um, on our Instagram handle, which is I2Health, you can join us for Transformation Thursdays where we do a workout. We have a meditation segment as well, once a month. And then sporadically, we'll throw out some recipes that will encourage people to uh, eat healthier. So that's the interactive piece. And we chose to end it with health and not health clinic because we want people to realize that health is all-encompassing. It's not just illness prevention. It's more of you being able to live your best life, essentially. Integrative Interactive Health is our name. Long, but it means something. (laughs) Now, in the clinic, what we do is, you know, we do offer the lifestyle medicine consultation. So specifically for patients who might have high blood pressure or diabetes or cholesterol or even obesity, we'll go through and we do a comprehensive laboratory panel for them. And then we discuss those lab results with them. And we discuss the pillars of lifestyle medicine in in the different segments and address it according to that patient. So, for example, if you have a patient that doesn't really have an addictions problem, so they're not really uh, a smoker or having a problem with alcohol use, then we remove that pillar and we focus on the five that are most important, but essentially that patient will get in-depth counseling um, with me or my PA, Sanjeev, who is rapidly learning how to do the consultations. Um, and then they go home with a nice sheet of paper that summarizes everything and a little section for them to write their own goal. So, you know, the, one of the things about lifestyle medicine is that because it's an all-encompassing change, you have all of these different pillars sometimes it can be very overwhelming for a patient to be like, oh, I have to change all of these things all at once. That is not the case. So we take each change or each pillar uh, by stepwise changes that are achievable and attainable. So SMART goals, that's what we use. And then we follow up with the patient, usually every six uh, to 12 weeks to see how things are going. And then we continue follow up there afterwards. So I'm happy to say that the patients that adhere to their, their lifestyle medicine plan do great. They decrease their medications. They feel so much better. They love their, their new lifestyle and they take it on so great, so well. And it just feeds excitement throughout the whole clinic. Just, it's just so exciting to see people live their best life. I have a running list in my brain of the people who have successfully made changes and are living their best. Uh, And so that is just further encouragement for us here at the clinic to continue to spur people on.
0: I can feel your energy and motivation even through the screen. And (laughs) (laughs) just to go back, uh, just for some clarification, you mentioned Sangeet was your PA that I'm assuming means physician's assistant uh, to confirm. and. You also mentioned that your sister is and uh, does naturopathic medicine, and you yourself do allopathic medicine. What's the difference between those two?
1: Right. So, great question. So, allopathic medicine is is the, the medicine that is considered traditional medicine of North America or the Western world. So I've been to medical school, I've trained through residency, I know how to write prescriptions, um, I know how to manage a diabetes with the blood glucose monitoring and all of that. So pretty standard North American or Western healthcare, that's allopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine is the use of natural supplements, homeopathy or uh, Eastern medicine is the most usually traditional Chinese medicine for the management of chronic disease. So we have two different schools of thought. And there is a lot of overlap, especially within the lifestyle medicine realm. But there is still a little bit where allopathic medicine is kind of on a, a different plane, right? Or I should do it like this, different <laughs> planes, right? Because one is not better than the other. It's just different understandings of medicine. And so I have the privilege of working with a naturopath who can, where we can discuss things and um, see things from different viewpoints.
0: It sounds like you do a real team-based approach. And I really like your concept of your Instagram, the at I2Health and engaging individuals that way and sharing information. How have you found the engagement with that versus to have someone come into the clinic? What's, are you able to reach more people that way? Or what inspired you to initially go with social media to spread information?
1: Right, so, (laughs) you know, I I had always wanted to do social, have a social media platform just because your reach is broader. And that was supposed to be a component of the clinic. Originally, I wanted to have people come in and do group medical appointments, but then "Ah, COVID hit. Ah, oh, surprise, a pandemic. Who would have thunk? Anyways, the, so there, our social media platform has allowed us to still do some of the education that we, we'd like to do for our group medical appointment, but or reach a, a broader audience. And so I, I'd say, you know, our social media is, is pretty modest right now. Like we, don't, we don't have as much of a reach as I would like, but we're working on it. The clinic is still young. And when we do have people engage with us, they really do engage and they participate in the workouts that we do and kind of sweat with their doctor. (laughs) We do workouts because we don't keep it easy for ourselves. We try to challenge ourselves so that our patients know that, you know, everybody is being challenged in this situation. It's not easy for anybody.
0: (laughs) And for anybody who's interested, I'll link the information in the show notes to this podcast episode as well, to where you can find the Instagram page, as well as the link to your clinic as well.
1: Awesome. Awesome.
0: Um, I was wondering, because you have this integrative approach, is there anything that you wish um, that people knew before coming into your practice and Is there one thing or one main message or goal that you would like them to leave with after they've they've come to either speak or interact with you, either in person or on social media?
1: That is a great question, Steph. That's really good. I would say if you decide to come into the clinic at Integrative Interactive Health um, or two Health, I want you to be ready to be encouraged and empowered to take your healthcare into your own hands. I really want people to, especially now when our our healthcare system is, it's it's strained and it's stressed. um, I'd really like people to be able to be confident with knowing what they have. So knowing their different diagnoses, and then uh, also uh, having, uh, being empowered to do something about it with their fork, with their feet, um, and with their pillow when they sleep, and with, their, with whatever they're doing for their mental health. So empowerment, encouragement, that is what you expect when you come to the clinic. Um, I also would love people to know that it's a group of warm, loving human beings taking care of other human beings. So we're not perfect, and we do have family and stuff outside of clinic that might be distracting for us, but we do make you a priority, just have a little bit of grace with us when things don't go according to plan.
0: I feel like that goes back to the sixth pillar that you talked about, the relationship aspect, the support that you have that we're all working together to try to achieve a better quality of life or just more positive outcomes for all of us.
1: Yes. Yes, 100%. And you put it so well. It's an embodiment of that sixth pillar, that relationship pillar, um, because we do emphasize having a good relationship with your healthcare team here. We want you to be able to know Rupali, our receptionist, and call her by name because she's going to take care of you and get you connected to the services that you need. We do want you to know that your doctor's going to scream in celebration with you when... Your labs improve, or when you get pregnant after having struggles with infertility, we want we want to be able to build that relationship with people. So with a the relationship, there's a bit of give and take. So you know it, everything's not exactly perfect, but you know that because of that relationship, the best is going to be done for you. So yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect, Sunny. That's perfect.
0: And it was brought to my attention as well that people really appreciate the time and the relationship building that you have with your clients or patients. And one of the things that was mentioned was that in general healthcare practices, time is one of those limiting factors, but that with you, they feel that they're able to have those discussions and really talk through what's happening and how to address their issues or concerns. Can you speak a little bit about that and how you manage to do that, or at least make people feel that they have this rapport with you?
1: I don't know how. I would say that one of the things that I enjoy is listening to people's stories. Usually when I... In many moons ago, when I had time to do things, like before I had children, I loved reality TV. So I would sit there and watch people's stories and just go through their lives and be like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" So every day in clinic, a patient will come in and share a piece of their story with me, which I think is such a great honor, and it's something that I really enjoy. So I think maybe that's what what radiates, or people feel that type of energy off of me. Like I want to know about you. I want to make sure that we take care of your health concerns, but I also want to know about your cat or your new plant that you put in a, a cute little pot. I want you to show me pictures of your garden. I think it's a, that balance of taking care of the medical piece as well as you know, seeing them not just as the diabetes patient, but seeing them as Mr. X that has this wonderful full life and diabetes that we're managing is something that, that the pre- patients really appreciate. Now, I wish OHIP appreciated it a little bit more, but, but that's OHIP. It's fine. We got, we got problems with OHIP. But the patients are what are our main concern here. And if they are feeling that, then I am so happy.
0: No, that's fantastic. And at least from what I've heard, it's really resonated with people and that people feel like a person. So oh. I felt like that was such that really stuck with me. I mean,
1: like medicine is such a privilege, right? Like we get to, we get to join people in their journey through life. And often that's how I begin their meet and greets. I'll, I'll shake them, or not shake hands, but I'll give an elbow, elbow bump. because That's the new COVID greeting. <laughs> I'll say, well, thank you for in, inviting us on, on your journey of health. And then we kind of walk together and we grow, we'll grow together. Right. And then for, especially for family medicine, you not only do that for an individual, but You meet the individual's children and you watch that individual interact with their children and as their children grow up their moods change their uh, likes and dislikes changes you get to find out what they want to be when they grow up and they graduate and they do all these cool things so family medicine in particular is just it's such a wild and wonderful journey to experience so many different strands of life with people and to be with them through till the end you know, uh, such a special specialty.
0: And it seems like it goes with the name. It's family medicine. It's not individual medicine. So it's, right. you're, you're looking at it from all the individuals that maybe impact or influence or have a relationship with the individuals that you're working with. Right, right. We're going to shift gears just a little bit. And I'm curious about where do you go to for guidance for your practice or any resources? Where do you get your information, or how do you find information that you're like, okay, this is what I can use to guide my practice?
1: Right. So, great question again. So I use the American College of Lifestyle Medicine for a lot of my lifestyle medicine practices, making sure I stay up to date with those. Another great resource for me is nutritionfacts.org, Dr. Michael Greger. I love his energy too. He's so awesome. And he, his website, completely not for profit uh, and just complete dissemination of plant-based data to The world into the masses has is also been a really good uh, reference tool for me as well as a patient because at the end of their lifestyle medicine kind of prescription, for lack of a better word, I give them a list of resources and that usually includes Dr. Greger's website. So those are two are my main. And then, of course, for kind of general um, knowledge, I have up to date, good old up to date for my residents and, and practicing doctors out there, which gives Um, an overview of the current medical data and research that's out for different illnesses. And so even if it's something that's routine and run of the mill, like what's, what's the first line treatment for blood pressure, I still like to check up to date because those recommendations change or they start to shift a little bit where you might get some, some new ideas for a patient who is newly diagnosed with blood pressure and they're doing all of their lifestyle um, or they're meeting all of their lifestyle goals, but they still need a little bit of help in terms of medications or otherwise.
0: I really uh, liked using up to date as well. I found that it provided a really nice summary of information for different disease states and so forth. Are there any other points of evidence or is there anything that you read that really surprised you from any of those resources or something that really stuck out that you're like, oh, this is something that I need to keep in mind? In
1: terms of looking at the resources and collecting the information, I like to look for overarching trends for my patients. So oftentimes there are different points in their journey where some are eating a some some plants. Some are eating no plants at all, uh, and so you know I do a twenty-four hour recall, and then you know based on the trends that I see within the different resources, I'll start off with the most common recommendations. Because again, patients are coming in having looked up stuff too. Uh, the favorite is keto. Everybody wants to do the keto diet, right? You know I say to them, you know the the main points about you know keto versus plant-based versus whatever other diet you're looking at are the plants. Everybody has plants in there. So let's start by integrating more plants into your diet. And usually you know, people get very squeamish about me saying, we're going to take away. But when I say to people, we're going to add plants, they're fine with that, you know okay. Now then so we get past that hurdle and then we say, okay, now what plants can we hate can we add? And then they go through the list of the plants they hate. Oh, I hate broccoli. I can't eat Brussels sprouts. I can't. Eat. So this is where, um, you know, doing introductions to different uh, fruits and vegetables are helpful. Having them check our Instagram site to see, you know, how you can pair plants with some of your favorite foods for now. And then we slowly increase the, the portion sizes of those plants. Um, so, you know, overall from the from the, the data and the, the resources that I look at I look for all of the plants that I can find and different ways that people can integrate them and also I look for culturally culturally sensitive ways to integrate mm-hmm. plants because some people you know they just all they know about Brussels sprouts is steaming them to death and that's why they don't like them when you could like roast a, a Brussels sprout and olive oil and delicious salt and pepper. oh it's so good yeah it's so good <laughs> so uh those are the types of things that I like to pull from the for, for research I want to give them good foundational tools for plants getting that into their diet and then we make changes there on out if they don't become completely plant-based that's fine, but at least they're plant predominant, which is what's going to help them live a healthier life.
0: I really appreciate that approach, especially you mentioned getting the foundation of these lifestyle changes for them. And it sounds like you work with them to set goals. And you mentioned earlier these so-called SMART goals. Now, for anybody listening, you may be thinking, well, all my goals are SMART, but can you describe to us what does a SMART goal actually mean? Okay. Yes.
1: So SMART is an acronym. So SMART goals. All right. Mm-hmm. So the goal that you want needs to be specific. <clears throat> it needs to be measurable. It needs to be attainable. It needs to be realistic. And it needs to be time bound. Mm-hmm. So let's do an example. Okay. Perfect. <sighs> so I have a weakness for chips. Okay. And let's say we're wanting to cut the amount of chips out of my diet incrementally. And I'm starting off with two bags of chips a week. So um, chips are delicious, but we can't be eating two bags of chips a week if we have other goals like weight loss, right? So we're going to try cutting down our chips by half. Okay. So that is a measurable goal. So we're going to decrease our bag of chips to one bag a week. Is that uh, something that's attainable for me? Hmm, if I think about it, yes. But maybe I need to uh, to do one extra step to make sure that I make that one bag of chips last the whole week. So I am going to put that one bag of chips in seven different little mm-hmm. portioned containers for the week and. When I eat one container, that's it for the day, it's just one. Okay, so we've got specific, we've got measurable, we've got attainable, we've got realistic, because now we have a plan of how to achieve that goal with our seven portions, one bag, we're not buying any extra bags at the grocery store, we're not stopping by the gas station, we're not doing anything. Do not pass go, do not (laughs) collect $200. Okay, and then we have to have it time bound. So how long is it gonna take for me to eliminate one bag of chips from my two bag of chips weekly diet. So I'm going to give myself one week. And in some cases, you might need to do two because you might stumble and fall. Or really, one week, you can do it. If you make a mistake or if you stumble and falter, that's okay. You're buying your next bag of chips the next week, and you're going to try it again. So that is a smart goal. It is specific. It is measurable. It is attainable it is realistic, and it is time-bound. So uh, an example of a non-smart goal would be, I'm going to lose 50 pounds. So that is a very large goal. Um, it is doable, but you've got to break it up into smaller steps and something that is, break it up into something that's attainable so that, you know, you, you give yourself a bit of encouragement. As a human mind, it really needs to see some type of achievement in order for it to keep going. So if you break it up into these smaller smart goals, you'll be more successful with the changes you're making.
0: Now that's fantastic to have like a way to kind of define your goals and to make sure that it makes it hopefully a little bit more feasible or easier to accomplish them in the long term. So when when our patients sit in clinic
1: with us, you know, we, we can help them set SMART goals for each of the different pillars. So we'll set one for nutrition, at least one for um, sleep, at least one for exercise, etc. Yeah.
0: Okay, fantastic. And it sounds like you really individualize it to the person, which brings it back to, you mentioned that you're you were cognizant of cultural differences or cultural values. So it sounds like that that's something that you bring into this as well. How do you go about that? Are there certain practices that you're very conscious of or things that were brought to light throughout your own practice?
1: Our our practice is very multicultural. Uh, And so when it comes to making lifestyle changes with each culture, there's different diets, there's different types of food preparation, and there's even different kind of eating patterns throughout the day. You might start off with a, a tea and toast type of situation in the morning and then move to something more heavy in the afternoon or the evening time, or it might be customary to have like an evening, like, like a nine o'clock dinner or something like that. So really the, the key to make to practicing culturally competent care is to not go by generalization because those are never they're never really accurate but it is to ask questions. So uh, you ask the individual, what kinds of foods are you eating? Oh, and if it's something that you've never heard of before, oh, um, how is that prepared? How do you usually eat that? What do you usually eat that with? And is that a breakfast or lunch or dinner type of thing? So gathering that type of information helps to make you more informed in in terms of the the changes that you're going to recommend for the patient moving forward. And Everybody has some type of cultural kind of spin to them. So you have to ask these questions all the time. We can't make assumptions anymore. This is, this is not back in the day. <laughs>
0: No, very true. Especially in Canada, we are a multicultural country. So just being aware, even if somebody may not initially share that a certain culture may be important to them, you never know, especially at home or even just in their day to day. And it could just be normal. Like, it's not to say that any one is different from another. It's just a way of living. So it's just being able to understand that. I'm going to go back to your social media presence because you were involved in a very cool campaign last July, I believe, called the Share the Mic, the Medical Mic campaign. So it was hashtag Share the Medical Mic. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your experience of this and what was the purpose?
1: So, wow, Share the Medical Mic was, an initiative put together by a group of doctors that I had met through social media. Most of them are uh, based in the United States. Um, And it really was highlighting the um, health disparities found within medicine um, for minority populations, uh, particularly the Black population. It wasn't only the disparity found within the patient population of the Black population, but Also, the practicing medical professionals. So, you know, we found that we didn't have as much of a voice as some of our colleagues did. We found that it was sometimes more difficult to navigate the medical system as health professionals in terms of being heard and getting things done for a patient. And so the Share the Medical mic helped to highlight some of that. Um, and help to just bring some more awareness to some of the disparities in healthcare, and also uh, allowed us a platform to share how we think things could be better, how we think things could be improved. You know, we we just we didn't want it to just kind of be a here it is, folks, this is how bad it is. But also something to say this is where we're at now, but this is how we can make it better. And one of the one of the main pointers from the share the mic that I learned from some of the other doctors too, was this, this aspect of, of listening and asking questions about the different cultures and the different people that you meet and come across during the day, um, because that is how you enrich and you practice better medicine, right? When you can speak to the soul, of the person that's sitting in front of you.
0: No, that's very true. It's, again, like you were saying, not making assumptions and speaking with people as people, having those conversations, getting to know who they are as a person. And you mentioned these disparities in the healthcare system, but I also find that even in the research or evidence that we have available that's guiding our healthcare system, sometimes, for instance, to try to address a certain question, we don't have the evidence available in certain populations to be able to know, okay, how does X affect Y in this population or that population? So even that, it's I find it very fascinating and very interesting to see where hopefully we're moving towards and in terms of addressing that. And you mentioned that yourself and the other doctors made suggestions. Is there any suggestions that you could share with us that you would like to see or that you heard from other doctors that you were like, oh, that would be fantastic if it could happen sooner rather than later?
1: Right. So, Yes, definitely. To frame this, I want us to all think about our our system as multiple layers playing into the care of um, the individuals of Ontario. So you have you have aspects on the provincial level that need to change. Um, you have aspects on the community level that need to change and aspects on the individual level that need to change. And so when I think about the things to help improve our, our system, um, I think of them on those three levels. So starting with you know, the provincial level, I do think we need to be more responsible about collecting data based on different cultural backgrounds. And we need to not just make it about checking off a box, but we need to make it an in-depth look into the different cultures that we have and how their interaction with the healthcare system, their accessibility to different types of foods and nutrition, how socioeconomic status and housing prices and access to parks and safe walking spaces affect health. So on that provincial kind of legislative public health level, we need to do more to learn about the communities within Ontario so that we can then make legislation and provide resources for people uh, to help decrease the disparity that we see uh, between populations. So that's the provincial level. On the community level, Uh, I would love to see more collaboration and and care throughout our, our smaller communities. You know, I think we've become a lot more distant, especially after the pandemic, because we've been discouraged from gathering and things like that. But we in Mississauga, which is where I live and where I work. We're fortunate to have lots of community centers throughout, and those community centers could be more utilized as hubs for dissemination of health information. They already have great activities and exercise uh, programs, um, but we can do more through those community centers to help reach the community as a whole. And I think that would help foster some more relationships within the community and bridging some of the the isolated communities within that level to interact with others. I have lots of elderly patients that are home sitting by themselves, and they're not really interacting with others. And if they had a bit of a relationship piece, their their health would skyrocket. They wouldn't have to sit home and, and worry so much. They wouldn't have to feel so lonely all the time. They'd be able to interact with others. So, I mean, that's just one example of how I think a community center could function. But like if we had the province, provincial support and legislation for those community services, I think that would go a long way in terms of helping to minimize disparities and bringing communities together. And then finally, on the individual level, I really think we need to, as individual units, individual human beings and little family units, we really need to talk about inclusivity and recognizing a human being as a human being, you know, my my four-year-old should look at another four-year-old and be like, hey, you're a human being, Hi, (laughs) Pat. right? So it starts as young as that. We should be fostering that love and respect for other human individuals from very young ages, so that when you grow up, you don't have biases, but you have curiosities, right? You want to you want to sit down and ask somebody from a completely different country, so what's it like growing up there? Why did you move here? Or how long have you been in Canada? Or recognizing that, you know, there are multiple generations of lots of different looking people who are Canadian, right? You know, my grandmother's from here, my great-grandmother's from here, my great-great-great-grandfather's from here, right? So uh, that's, that on the individual level, I think seeing each other as human beings and developing a curiosity for each other as human beings and a love for each other as human beings will go a long way in terms of uh, decreasing the disparities that we see. So we got lots of work to do, Stephanie. You know, we got lots of work to do. Everybody's got to put in their part. Everybody.
0: <laughs> yep. It's where do we begin? That's... <laughs> It sounds like very hopeful and that there are things that we can do. And it sounds like even just going to our neighbors, having those open conversations and getting to know them for who they are and what their experiences are. It sounds like a way to open up the door. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm, I know that we've been discussing a very heavy and very important topic, but I want to lighten things up a little bit. First, would you like to share where people may find out more about you and your work? I know you shared your Instagram handle earlier, but if you'd like to share that again, as well as your website, and again, I'll link it in the show notes for or this podcast episode.
1: Okay, great. So, um you can read more about integrative interactive health or i2 health on our website which is www.i2healthclinic.com right now I have a waiting list of patients so um if you're interested in, in joining the clinic you can join our waiting list shout out to any of the doctors out there who want to come work at this fabulous clinic if you want to come get a job come on over. It's a great work environment. (laughs) Okay, so check out our website if you're interested. Um, The other place you can touch base with me is on our Instagram handle at I2Health. Again, that's at I2Health, and that's on Instagram. And I also have a personal Instagram, which is Dr. Tanisha. And that is DR10ISHA, Dr. 10 Tenisha. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. My personal Instagram presence is not very, very vibrant, friends. So you'll see some old pictures, but you can DM me, and um, usually I can get back to you within maybe like a week or so. So it's not very active. If you wanna contact me, you wanna send me an email through the website.
0: Fantastic. And. Awesome. If individuals do sign up for the waiting list, but they're like, oh, I want to check out your Instagram, is there any post on your Instagram that you're like, oh, this is a good recipe to check out, or this is a good tidbit that you should take a look at, or just all of it? Do you have any recommendations on where to begin?
1: So my recommendation would be to check out our Transformation Thursday workouts they are posted. Usually we'll do an Instagram live Thursday morning at nine, but you can check out the workouts listed in our feed. So just pick one of them. They're all fun. (laughs) We're all cracking up and doing our very best to increase our exercise and increase our uh, stamina. My suctionist actually doubles as our uh, exercise lead. Her name is (laughs) Rupali. So you'll see her face all over our Instagram. So just pick one of those and do a quick workout with us. A lot of them are great for just doing it at home. You don't need any equipment, no weights. If you live in an apartment, they're always quiet. There's not a whole lot of disturbance to the people around you. So pick one of those. Any one of them will be good.
0: Fantastic. I know what I'm doing after this recording. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And I know that we're short on time now. Just final words. What would you like your final take-home message for listeners to be?
1: Final take-home messages for you guys. Number one, plants are life. Eat your plants. Number two, love each other and give each other a lot of grace and respect. Number three, be empowered and encouraged to take your health into your own hands. Ask questions, get those answers. And if you have more questions, ask again and know that we're here to help you. No matter who your healthcare professional is, we are here to help you. And we got into this because we love helping people. So just keep that in mind.
0: Wonderful. Dr. Tanisha, I feel so energized after speaking with you. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us at the Plant-Based Canada podcast today. It was such a pleasure.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure talking with you too, Stephanie. I'm giving you a big, huge virtual hug. (laughs)
0: Likewise. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Tanisha Mitchell-Lambert, for speaking with us and sharing her experience, her enthusiastic energy, and insights. And of course, thank you for listening. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada, which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time.